Hey folks, this is Josh Schlossberg with the Green Root Podcast. No guest this episode, I'm going to do a rant. It's time for another rant. For those who do not like rants, I will give you a few moments to exit the podcast. For the rest of you, I am going to speak straight from the cuff, shoot from the hip, choose whatever analogy you like. What I like about this podcast is I don't have an editor, an arbitrary authority telling me what I can and cannot say. Most of the time I try to be civil, but I'm going to get into some shit for this episode. I'm going to talk about the environmental movement. Wow, that's a new topic for you, Josh. Well, bear with me. I'm going to go a little deeper and I'm going to be talking about the shadow of the environmental movement and not just the quote sellouts, those of us who claim to be on the good side of the environmental movement. So I have a friend who says there is no American environmental movement and it's a bit hyperbolic, but to a certain degree, it's true. We do not have an effective, cohesive, coherent environmental movement in the U.S., the rest of the world, whatever. I'm just talking about the U.S. right now. So why is that? Well, we can break things down into two camps. We have the establishment and we have the alternative. Now, this is a concept that can be applied across the board in society, no matter what you're dealing with. There are typically, there's going to be the establishment. So the established entity that are sanctioned by Oftentimes the government by the elite, by the mainstream, by corporate America, whatever you want to call it. It is the status quo. Now, there is a certain level of merit to that, right? To have something that is acceptable, it has to meet a certain level of competence. So typically anything establishment has a basic level of, or at least a semblance of, coherence. So for instance, let's just talk about music. So stuff that's on the top 10 charts. Is that the best art of our generation? Of course not. Almost never, right? But it has to be a singer who can sing some notes, although autotune makes that so that's no longer relevant. It's got to be produced well enough that it can go out there. It has to be a song that has some aspect of catchiness although a lot of the stuff is really, really simplistic, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's not gonna be the worst thing you've ever heard, but it's almost never gonna be the best. That's the concept of it. It's to appeal to the lowest common denominator. It's to make it commercially marketable, those sorts of things. So take that into the environmental movement. That is what the Sierra Club has become. That is what a lot of these large entities have become. These are large nonprofit 501c3s that pay their executives a decent sum, and they are backed primarily by corporate-funded foundations. And a corporate-funded foundation is not interested in changing (laughs) the basis of our society, which is what we really need to address for environmentalism, right? That's not a surprise. Are you saying that, for instance, these uh, foundations that are now funding environmentalism who come from all fossil fuels families, right? Pew Charitable Trusts, which is a major funder, originally was started with Sun Oil money, which was Sunoco. So sure, the family members of that might have had a change of heart and be like, I don't like what my grandpa did. Sure. But ultimately, they're not going to cut Uh, you know, they're not going to cut things out from under themselves. And the whole idea of a financial system, which keeps 
putting money into their coffers, which is what they're able to feed into these environmental groups, they're not going to push back against that. So they're not going to be talking about our economic system ever. So that's moot. The establishment isn't going to be really pushing for anything other than window dressing. They do some things and they have done some things because I believe in giving credit where credit's due. So the mainstream environmental movement has done a lot of stuff. What's funny is it mostly did it early on in the 70s and 80s because, well, first of all, they dealt with the low-hanging fruit like major coal factories in towns spewing right up into people's faces and rivers on fire. So it was literally rivers on fire. So it was easier to deal with those things. And at the time, they were not quite establishment. When they started out, it was not quite establishment. And we even had the Republicans, Nixon, putting in place the EPA and Clean Water Act and all sorts of things like that, which is kind of crazy, right? The Republicans back in the day were more environmentalists than the Democrats are today. You don't believe me? Well, then stop listening to this podcast because I'm not speaking to you. <laughs> so that was mean. I'm sorry. You can still listen to the podcast. Okay, so we have the establishment. We all accept, hey, man, they either can't or won't do the right thing. I spent a lot of time trying to reform it. I spent a lot of time crabbing about it. Then I realized we need to do something different. So that is what the alternative environmental movement looks like. So some people will call that a radical environmental movement. That's one aspect of it. So direct action, things like that. There are other folks who have a different kind of analysis and are looking at certain aspects that are not being dealt with. And a lot of these environmental groups have done some amazing things, a lot of environmental justice entities. So I was a part of something called Energy Justice Network that homed in on dirty energy that was affecting poor communities, communities of color, like incineration, trash incineration, biomass incineration, siting of energy facilities, things like that. Those groups have been behind the scenes kicking some butt. And there are some other great groups working on forest issues. But here's the thing. We all have to admit this. It's not working. Why is it not working? Because these little efforts, however much integrity they may have, are just blips on the radar. And once in a while, an issue they're working on that is ignored, like mountaintop removal, that mountaintop removal for coal, that was a fringe issue with direct action folks. Then Sierra Club swoops in, takes it over, and kind of basically just waters it down and drops the ball on it. Now, to a large degree, we are shifting away from coal, but I don't think because of the Sierra Club. It's kind of like when the other technology comes on board, the shift happens. And the reality is a lot of the shift away from that is because of natural gas, because of the current glut and boom of natural gas, which the pandemic has kind of screwed with a little bit. So who knows what's going to happen? I am not an expert on that. So we have the alternative environmental movement. Hooray. We've got the principles in place. Maybe we don't always have the tactics, but we push it a little harder. We have some concepts and those are awesome. But we're not really accomplishing much. We're getting little gains, but not at the rate at which ecological degradation is happening. Not enough to do anything to really slow climate change, much less reverse climate change and prevent runaway climate change from happening, if that's a thing, which is very likely to be. So why? Why can't we do a different thing and do it better? Because that 
as I see it is the key. We can't just try to tear down the systems. We have to replace them with something better. And that's a tall order, I understand. This is the hardest thing ever, but it is the only way to do something. So the alternative environmental movement continues to do little things here and there which are really great. A lot of it is really, really great. I wanna stress that, but it's not enough. So when can we put those two pieces together? That it's not enough to have your little nonprofit that's protecting a chunk of a national forest that's not tied into anything larger when that same stuff is happening in every county and every state across the country. When are we going to realize that? Sadly, this is what comes into play is the shadow. So I am not a psychologist, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, although some people say I need one, but I have studied some Jungian concepts, Carl Jung, and this concept of the shadow, which is very in depth, but it's basically the side of ourselves that we are not willing to look at. And we can start looking at the shadow and then we realize, wow, this is stuff that I am, doing and I'm not realizing it. So we can point out other people's shadow really easier. We can be like, Sierra Club, you're talking all about the environment and then you're selling out all these, these different issues. We all know that. But what is the shadow of the alternative environmental movement? Suspenseful pause to drink water. Well, it's that we don't think that we're feeding into the system, number one. We are feeding into the system. We're all feeding into the system with our consumption, with just who we promote in society and who we don't. It's going to be inevitable to a certain degree, but we have to acknowledge it. The other piece is that our egos are really tied up into our actions. So it ends up becoming more about feeling good than doing good. You can be told, hey, your organization is doing some cool stuff, but we're losing. It's like, well, it feels good to keep doing this. And I can say at the end of the day that I tried, but did you, did you try, did we? And that's the thing. So the shadow is I have to acknowledge this part in myself as well and not just be pointing fingers. So not just pointing fingers at the establishment, not pointing fingers at the others in the alternative environmental movement, looking at my own shadow. And that's been my personal struggle over the last decade. That's why I stepped away from the environmental movement because I was trying to figure out, all right, am I just doing this for my own ego? Is this really effective? Do I like just being in the newspaper What's going on with this? Let me try to do something different. And so I was started to work on a less popular campaigns like biomass energy. And I basically got ran out of the environmental movement because all the grant funding dried up because no one wanted to fund anti-biomass stuff. And the few folks who were prominent in that field were actually pretending to be anti-biomass, but were actually advocating for most of the biomass in the country. Nowadays, 10 years later, after Planet of the Humans, They were pretending that they were anti-biomass the whole time and they were actually pro-biomass and they still are to a large degree. But I had to do a lot of soul searching and then realize, well, am I just involved with this because I want to be some outlier? So I'm not going to go into my psyche too much more, but I had to start looking at what is my role in all this? How am I feeding into this? Am I just doing silly stuff to make myself feel like I'm doing something. So I stepped away from it and then I came back this last year to do this podcast. My only goal of this podcast is not to be an activist. I call myself a recovering activist as a joke and not even to be a journalist because that was what I did in the meantime. I decided to do environmental journalism and I was trying very hard to look at my own shadow. And what that was, was let me look at some of the aspects that maybe I'm exaggerating in the environmental 
aspect. And let me actually give the other side a voice because guess what? If this uh, burning trees isn't as bad as I think it is, I wanna be able to put that on paper. Of course, the reality is you look through all the science and it is that bad. But I was open to the other arguments. I was open to the possibility that I might be wrong. I put that into my journalism. I found that actually the editors didn't want that. They didn't want the whole picture because I think they secretly, well, they hadn't addressed their own shadow. They secretly think there might be some weakness to certain aspects of environmental advocacy and they didn't want to acknowledge it. I want to acknowledge it because I went through all the ego crap and I wanted to be like, if we are wrong about something, let's find out. A lot of people want to turn away. That's the shadow. So I have deliberately been dealing with that basically because I got pushed out out of my my own will. So most people, including myself, I would never have dealt with the shadow if I was still a part of that, embraced in that movement. But I decided to do a, a, a fringe thing and I basically got pushed out. A lot of the stuff people think is fringe stuff is actually just very, it's, it's the popular stuff. So if you're doing something that is, everyone's like, yay, it's probably not the uh, next step. It's just the accepted status quo. But anyway, that's why I just want to point out, it's not like because I'm so enlightened that I started looking at my shadow. I was forced to confront my shadow. And then over time in the environmental journalism world, I was like, let me put that out there. They're like, no, take that away. Let's, let's ignore the shadow of the alternative environmental movement, genuine environmentalism and stuff like that. And then to this day, we are not willing to acknowledge that we need to actually get together to do something different. And there's this concept. So I'm on this listserv of hardcore enviros and pretty much everyone on that list I respect in their work. They're all doing great things. There's this concept called collaboratives, which sounds good, right? But what it is is you are an environmentalist and you sit down with the timber industry and the forest service and you just decide how much of the public lands to give away to them. And those of us who are the hardcore environmentalists, we're like, no, that's, we don't, they might take some of it, but we're not giving any of it away. And I fully support that. I, I came across that concept from Native Forest Council years ago, zero cut on public lands. I still believe that. Sometimes it's going to happen. They're still cutting on public lands. I'm not living in a fantasy world, but I'm never going to endorse that. So there's this collaborative. And then the rest of the people are like, these are crap. We're not going to be a part of that. Great. But what I realized is that Sadly, those who are a part of the collaboratives, right? Obviously, duh, they're pretty good at collaborating. Now, they're collaborating and cooperating for not good things, but there are good things that can happen with cooperation. And that's why a lot of these establishment entities are so powerful, obviously, because they sell out left and right. But the other thing is they do have a lot of people on board, and you gotta give them credit for this, who are able to put together a campaign and organize folks together. And they may not be doing as much grassroots stuff, but they can follow through with these plans. They can be like, here is A plus B, that will equal C. Unfortunately, the lone wolves, as I call it, in the environmental movement, of which I've long been one, we're not as good at that. We're not as good at drawing together in a pack. Now, the negative thing about being a part of a pack is that you be a part of, you, you allow yourself to be brainwashed and just fall into the group think. And it's just all about what what meshes with everyone. So if you get into a collaborative with timber industry, you are gonna have to abandon your principles. And 
I'm not saying that you can't have conversations with logging industry and in fact, reform logging on private lands. In fact, I've done several podcasts on that. So lands that are say corporate owned, they can be dealt with in a different way in terms of providing forest products. So I'm not against logging or talking to loggers of the timber industry. I'm just talking about public lands. This is just one particular instance. And I believe public lands, which have the most valuable ecologically lands that are left, they need to be left the hell alone. But the idea of collaborating can be a positive thing, as I was saying. And those who are more likely to kind of like go along to get along are going to be better at doing that. And those who are kind of more well, that doesn't sound right. I resist. They're less likely to actually be able to collaborate with other people. And it's kind of the principle versus preference thing. That can be a really great thing. Like, I'm not going to sell out public lands versus, oh, that person doesn't have the exact same eco-feminist ideology as I do. I can't work with them. And that's kind of what we're dealing with. That's just one example. In the alternative environmental movement, people are like, I have my own little niche here and my own way of thinking. And unless people share it exactly, I'm not going to work with them. And guess what? The secret is not, there's nobody who shares your thinking exactly. There are people who pretend to, or people who push away their other real thoughts in order to be a part of that group dynamic. And sometimes group harmony is a beautiful thing, right? So we got to be able to find out that way to, to collaborate is what I'm getting at here in a way that does not sacrifice our principles, but maybe our little preferences. A principle is public lands. A preference, yeah, is something that I don't quite agree with that. Who cares? <laughs> so what? Don't agree with it and still move forward on it. Now, obviously, oh, that person is a physically abusive racist who thinks certain races are inferior. It's like, well, let's not work with that person, obviously. Uh, but other than that, we might want to try, but it's a personality thing. So there is this idea of individualism versus the group harmony. And there's this concept of spiral dynamics, which is about studying human consciousness. And I'm sure as hell not going to go into that right now, but that's what a lot of this is based on. And those of us who are more individual thinking, it's a phase. We go from individual to group as we evolve in our adult psychological development. And if you are at a stage where you're pre-group, you're just kind of like, this is what I just want for myself, right? And then you can go through different ways of group thinking and it kind of goes back and forth. But to make it a lot simpler, there are those who, those of us who realized it's not a great thing to always just sacrifice for the group because it waters everything down that should be, we become individuals. And that's really great. But there is this next step where it's maintaining our individuality while being a part of a network. So in meshing in a network. And that's what, if the alternative environmental movement could look at its shadow, where this is one of its, its shadows, the inability to make the, the um, to distinguish between that or to be a part of just a whole other kind of group think, which maybe isn't the establishment environmental group think, but some other almost environmental group think where you, you can't possibly see anything out of it. That that's an issue as well. But a lot of what I'm seeing is the individuals who can't collaborate. And if you step beyond that brainwash group think into individual, there's another step where it's like maintaining the individual while also being a part of the group. And I just said that, but I want to say it again because that is the essence of what I'm talking about. There's uh, maybe another way to explain this that may or may not 
clarify this. It might actually make it more confusing, but it's something I'm just kicking around. These are ideas I'm just kicking around. So it's the idea of masculine versus feminine. Now, the people cannot understand that. They think that's identity politics. It's not. These are symbolic concepts of, of passivity versus activity. And it's like, are you saying that all women are passive and all men are active? No, go back and read myth if you don't understand that masculinity and femininity, femininity can overlap with actual gender, but that's not actually what it's about. So a better way of getting into it is the yin and yang, right? So let's leave aside masculine, feminine, but I'm gonna come back to it in a second, but I'm gonna make this a little more palatable because I know people have blocks to this because they, they get caught up in a, a certain uh, misunderstanding. So yin versus yang, this Asian concept of it's this balance and yang is that push and then the, the yin is the pull, or a better way of looking at it is more uh, activity, making things happen versus kind of laying back, or there's there so many different ways of looking at it. Uh, energy versus chillness, or you could say um, ocean versus sky. There are a lot of different ways of looking at yin versus yang, and obviously I'm not doing a great explanation, but you can go on YouTube and watch a video about yin versus yang. So it's these two elements of the universe which exist symbolically and realistically. Now, what a lot of the radical environmental movement tries to be is it tries to be the yang. So what's funny is a lot of this is maybe from the eco-feminist perspective and you think that'd be feminine. Again, remember, we're not talking about men and women here, right? We're talking about these, these symbolic concepts. It's a lot of it is kind of a push out into the world. So a way of looking at it is a penetration, right? A pushing into, a penetration into the world. I'm gonna poke out this thing. There's the other side, so the, that's the yang. The yin side is envelopment. I'm going to kind of be a blob and incorporate all these different elements. A lot of times we think of, so if you think of where a lot of this concept comes from, the phallus, right? So the idea of poking into, into a hole, right? To be crude. We're like, oh yeah, that phallus is penetrating that, that hole, right? Or that, that cavern or however you want to put it. I'm talking about a penis and vagina, all right? People deal with it. But I'm talking about the symbolic elements of it. But so talking about that, now you can look at it as, yes, it's going into that thing. It's penetrating it. Another way of looking at it is the cave or the vagina is enveloping the phallus. So which is which? Oh, it's both. So what if we focus a little more on the envelopment, on the feminine side, on the genuine feminine side, not just in name, not just with having more women. That's great. Let's have more women. But if the idea is it's just more of a different gender doing the same stuff, maybe that's a little better, but that's not going to fix the environment. So if the idea is let's incorporate some elements of feminism, okay, sounds good to me. Let's look at this enveloping femininity. And the way to do that is here are all these lone wolves. We're going to create a new thing. Like, well, what if we just find the folks who are already doing this cool stuff and then there is this mesh or this network or just this blob that kind of 
ties it all together. It's not trying to direct any of it in a particular way. It's finding what do we share in common and now we are this thing. And it can bring together people working on salmon in the Pacific Northwest with people working on biomass in the Southeast because we're all being a part of a larger whole. So we can focus on our own little issue, which is, I don't mean to say little, but it's only a piece of the larger puzzle, but, but we have to. Somebody has to work on salmon and exclusively and have to know about salmon. But working on salmon without working on biomass is not going to protect the natural world. So we have these people working on these different, different things, but we have an overarching coherence and cohesion based on some common principles, not preferences, but principles. And that way we can move forward. That way when this, the salmon group is talking about salmon, it's also kind of talking about biomass and biomass is talking about salmon. And then maybe there are some other projects that are collaborated on that maybe the salmon person sets aside salmon for one little project while continuing to do their salmon stuff, but they're also working on this, this other piece of the, the larger piece. And that's the way I would see us overcoming our shadow. And if we don't do that, I don't think there is any chance. And frankly, I'm going to step back again from the environmental movement because my ego is probably bigger than it needs to be, but it's not that big. It's not that big that I'm just going to pretend to the end of my days that I'm doing all this effective stuff when I'm not, um, when it's, it's clear the writing's on the wall. And the writing is not just your average person doesn't care. The, uh, that's part of it. The, it's not just the establishment environmental movement is failing. That's part of it. It's that the alternative is not really willing to do what's necessary to create genuine and lasting change. And that to me is something I tend to get frustrated with because your average Joe, I don't expect much from them. And your average mainstream establishment enviro, yeah, well, why would I really expect them to do much? But those who, who know better and we're still operating our own little silos and ignoring the larger conversation and it may be that we're incapable of it, but that first step is looking at our own shadow. What am I doing that's limiting? And I'm still doing this on a regular basis. You probably know more about my current shadow than I do. And if you are aware of it, that's fine. But if you haven't done any shadow work, it's probably not going to be that useful to me, but maybe it will be. Who knows? Maybe you, you can see something that I, that I can't. And we have to first look at that shadow and then we can basically start evolving ourselves. We can start developing to realize maybe let's let's look at things a little bit differently and try things a little bit differently. And that's our real only hope because I think one thing we can all agree with in the alternative environmental movement is that no matter how cool we are and what we're doing is we're losing. We are losing and we're losing bad and the trends are 100% in that direction. So just delusion is not helpful. I suppose the only potential silver lining is that the only thing we can really just hope for is that maybe we're exaggerating and things are not as bad as we think. Maybe it's just kind of crappy and it'll all be okay, in which case, well, that would be nice. And then we won't have mattered for us to have done anything one way or another. And then we can keep, we can do nothing or we can just pretend like we're doing things and it'll work out fine because that's how it's meant to. Of course, a deeper perspective is even if the earth does destroy itself and every creature on it because of us, including humans. That's the way it's meant to be. And that's all okay. But I don't really fully accept that. And I doubt that you do either. Maybe that's the truth. I don't know. But we look at the shadow. We realize 
over time, we're starting to develop psychologically, and then we can start tying into these other efforts. Because if we're not psychologically at that stage, it's just going to be uninteresting to us. It's going to be cumbersome to us. We'll just think it's stupid. We'll think it's the same as the the prior stage instead of a next stage. So the reality is, yeah, if the alternative environmental movement can't do this, isn't interested in doing this, it's not going to. Is It's just not going to. But there might be a, a few of us who are mil- willing to move this forward, who have looked at our shadow, who've looked at the collective shadow, and want to do something different, and we can start building a bandwagon, and then people love to jump on bandwagons once they're moving, and that's fine. It, it's always going to take a few of us outliers to get things started. But I have to say, it's not super promising. There are some bright lights on the horizon. I am engaged with these monthly conference calls with a growing number of folks who are interested in discussing this. And I'm not going to give away the details because it's happening behind the scenes right now. If you think you might be somebody interested in that, you can contact me, josh at greenrootpodcast.net, and we could see if you'd make a good fit for what we're talking about. But here is one bummer that I'm just going to leave leave at the end of this, and maybe it's going to turn into the opposite of a bummer, which is a, a miracle. I don't know. So I have been a part of an organization called Rural Watch Africa Initiative with an executive director named Uche Isike, and he is based in Nigeria, and I did a podcast with him several months ago about his organization, RUWAI, this is a short R-U-W-A-I, and they work on both environmental and social issues in Nigeria, which Poverty Index has shown in recent years to be the poorest country in the world. And they're dealing with deforestation issues. They're dealing with just basic poverty issues. So it's both societal, social, and environmental. That's what I really love about it. And they're doing some of the best work. And so they asked me to become a board member after we did a little fundraiser for them. And I said, sure. And they want to incorporate as a nonprofit in order to be able to properly do fundraising because it's tough to do fundraising in Nigeria. And they want to have a base in the U.S. so we can cut through a lot of the complication. And for that, we need to have a 501c3 or an EIN. Uh, I forget what that actually stands for, but it's some sort of uh, number for being a part of a nonprofit so you can do fundraising. Um, I suggested that we get a fiscal sponsor, as in we find one of the, what, millions of existing organizations in the U.S. and utilize their EIN, their nonprofit status, so we can raise funding through that because it's a real pain in the ass to do start up a new 501c3, especially with a small organization. It's a lot of paperwork that's unnecessary and unfortunate to have to do when there's so many real things to do. But here's the thing, and this is this is kind of messed up. And this is why I, I definitely feel like even the alternative environmental movement is has not confronted its shadow. Um, I am pretty well connected in the alternative environmental world, even in the establishment world to a certain degree. Not everyone there hates me because... I don't hate them. Uh, I just sometimes hate what they're doing. And I have been trying to find a fiscal sponsor for this organization, and I have failed in doing so. Now, I'm willing to accept that I haven't tried hard enough or I'm just too much of a dick and people don't like me anymore. All that's possible. 
But what if it's something deeper? What if it's like this is the perfect example of on the inability to see its shadow? So we have the people that I've brought this up to and in general, I, I are both some of the hardest core environmentalists in the country and people who have been putting Black Lives Matter icons on their Facebook for the last year. And here is an organization that is dealing with the root issues of environmental degradation and literally protecting the lives of black people in Nigeria. And I can't even get a single one of these organizations to agree to a fiscal sponsorship. I come from a background of nonprofit management. I'm a pretty responsible dude, except for what comes out of my mouth. And so the idea that I would be endorsing something that is some fly-by-night scam is, I've never done it before. I don't know why that would happen all of a sudden. The idea that I wouldn't be a responsible manager of these aspects, there's just, I have a track record proving otherwise, and these folks know it. But why is it so hard to tie that in? And it's because I think folks haven't confronted their shadow. It's about feeling good rather than doing good. It's like you can put up an icon on your Facebook and you can say all these things about caring about a particular demographic. But when it comes time to actually lay down and be like, hey, here, here's one thing that we can do to help, and it's pretty minimal, it's just a bunch of static. And I'm just putting it out there because I need help. I need a nonprofit to be able to tie in with Rural Watch Africa Initiative and check out the podcast, check out their, their website, which I will come up with right now. Well, Rural Watch Africa Initiative is on Facebook, and I'm pretty sure it's just Rural Watch Africa Initiative on yeah, ruralwatchafrica.org. I just wanted to make sure people can check it out. Ruralwatchafrica.org. They're doing some great stuff. I'm somebody well-connected. I've done all this stuff. They're doing all this stuff. We can't even find somebody to help make this organization be able to do all of its work. All we have to do is overcome a really minimal hurdle, but it's a very important hurdle. So then all of a sudden this organization can raise a bunch of money and people are like, nah, I'm good. And... I've seen a lot of this in the alternative environmental movement. And rather than getting into saying, oh, this is personality flaws or people are bad, or no, it's the shadow. That's all it is. It's the shadow. We're not looking at a certain part and we haven't. And because of that, we don't develop psychologically. So if you're listening to this and this makes you uncomfortable, good. If you have a nonprofit and this is the first you've heard and it doesn't make you uncomfortable, good. Contact me and hook up Rural Watch Africa Initiative. This is, that you can do such a little effort to basically open the door. It's this gatekeeper phenomenon where if you're in a U.S. environmentalist, you are a gatekeeper for this African environmental organization. And that's why when I hear all the sorts of virtue signaling on environmental issues and race issues, sometimes I have to admit, I roll my eyes because I know the truth. The truth is that people like to say things. They like to feel a certain way. They don't like to do it. And is it that they don't want these things to happen? Is it that they, is it they ah, oh, they, they secretly want this organization to fail. They don't, they hate people in Nigeria. No, of course not, right? Just like I don't think your Sierra Club executive 
is like climate change is fake and I'm going to trick everyone. It's that the thing that is necessary to do is a hard thing. And that thing is maybe acknowledge where you're feeding into it. Or maybe it's like, oh, I have to do a little bit of paperwork for a couple days and trust this entity to be able to help them. Those are the hard things we have to do. So it's not a matter of, I sometimes say, and this is not fair, and this is probably my own shadow, which is a little bit of bitterness and resentment. The environmental movement wants to fail. It does not want to fail. Wrong, Josh. But does it, is it willing to do the things it knows deep down, maybe unconsciously, it needs to do in order to succeed? I don't know. I'm leaning towards no, but hey, change my mind, folks, right? Offer a fiscal sponsorship to Rural Watch Africa Initiative and make my whole podcast <laughs> irrelevant in terms of me saying, look, the, this mainstream environmental movement and the alternative environmental movement hasn't confronted its shadow. It's like, yes, we have. Look, we are, we are happy to help the organization and we just needed to hear that. And then I won't have to do another podcast like this. So prove me wrong, people. I want to be wrong, okay? I want to be wrong, but I'm right a lot. Make me wrong. <laughs>